Hello and welcome back. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the doctrine of Christ in its simplicity and what that means for us. We're also going to talk today about the eye being the light of the body and what that means. And finally today, we want to talk about prophetic warnings. Men have spoken under the influence of the Spirit throughout all the ages, and we expect that the Lord would not forget us, his people, in these last days if he's about to move with a scourging, with a chastening, um, with, with um, bad things happening around us as he has warned other people. We expect he would warn us. But how do we determine when, a, when an experience is shared, whether it's from the Lord or not? Or is it just the will of man? And if it is the will of man, how does that affect our faith? I think these are important topics that are pertinent to us today. And we thank you for coming back. We were going to do a live call-in show today, but I think people maybe are a little bashful to have their voice on the air. So we'll put that off for a little while. That's fine. But we welcome you back and hope today's episode is a blessing. So when... The gospel comes back to the Gentiles, and this is, it comes to us out of God's mercy. But what is interesting is that it says this time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled, and the Doctrine and Covenants section 45 says, and a desolating scourge will come out on the land, right, when the time of the Gentiles ends. And what does it accompany again? Once more, a transfer of the word back to Israel. And so what's this jumped out at me this week when um, when I was considering that Isaiah 28 uh, describes this a scourge. Isaiah describes a scourge. Now, he doesn't say on America and all this stuff, but he describes a judgment on the nations. The Doctrine and Covenants talks about a scourge on the Gentiles. Well, what's interesting is that shortly after that, in Isaiah 35, we get a totally different description. And what Isaiah 35 talks about is something that's going on right now and it's it could all be symbolic but Isaiah 35 says the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose what's interesting right now is I just saw this two days ago some people took some drone videos over the Dead Sea now I have not been to Israel I've seen a lot of pictures studied some of it um, but the area around the Dead Sea, I mean, it's the lowest place on earth, right? It's like Death Valley. It's just a desert. It's rock. It's it's sand. It's desolate. And right now, if you go there right now, people are marveling because it is green and lush and there's flowers blooming. And people are like, we've never seen this before. And what accompanies this, now this is a description right after Isaiah talks about this scourge. Uh, it's just a few pages later. He says... It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy, and and it continues to describe the the beauty of it. But then where it's going with this, it's talking about this beauty of the desert. And then it says, at this time, the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. That's very spiritual and symbolic, I think, of Israel, the fact that when this same time that Isaiah talks about, hey, there's going to be a judgment on the nation, then all of a sudden he talks and he says, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. That's exactly what Paul said. He said, that, hey, the Israelites are blind until they come to a knowledge of Jesus. And I just see all this happening that once again, 
if this is a scourge, if this is the one, and this is where, again, I'll say, I don't know, but if this is the one that Isaiah talked about and the Doctrine and Covenants talk about, and Jesus said, hey, there's going to be judgment on the Gentiles like they've never seen, like the heathen haven't seen, all of a sudden, it Isaiah switches the prophecy into, and by the way, people who are blind will now see, people who wouldn't listen will now hear talking about Israel, talking about the fact that how does that happen? That means the word's going to go back to them, and they're going to recognize Jesus Christ. They're going to open this word that came from the Gentiles who kind of just argued amongst themselves with it. You know, we never really did build a kingdom or anything. We talked a lot about it. But more to the point, it's going to direct them back to Jesus, and that's when the blind see. That's when the ears of the deaf become unstopped. And I'm just thinking— could this really be it? Could this really be the thing that's happening right now? And I'm like, wow, if it is, this is huge. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity and we welcome you into that conversation. During times like these, sometimes eternity can become more real to us, Corey, as uh, we continue on through this uh, worldwide epidemic, pandemic, I should say, the coronavirus. Um, I really like what you were talking about uh, just as you got here and arrived and we kind of had the record going. Um, you know, Corey, uh, through the ages... Well, let me do a little housekeeping first. A while back, we started to talk about the Ethiopian document, and uh, we recorded your explanation of that, but I don't know when it's going to air because we're kind of doing these broadcasts live or recorded and then put out the same day. So I did see on Restore Gospel Podcast, you've got a link to that document, and I'm going to link in the show notes today so at least people can go and um, go and read it. And... Um, find it there. Uh, like I said, I don't know when the episode will air. So anyway, if you're, if you're interested in that reading, uh, about, um, we'll put a link. Uh, secondly, Corey, you were, um, talking about Isaiah and the eyes opening the ears here. My son had some homework this week. And one of the scriptures we read in the book of Mormon as a family was the, the scripture that's very, most people have heard. And so I want to get your thoughts on this this morning. Um, it's the scripture that says, uh, if the light, if the eye is the light of the um, body and, and your eye is focused on light, then the whole body will be filled with light. But if the eye is basically full of darkness, the whole body will be full of darkness. I'm looking for the scripture cause I had it pulled up, but now it's gone. Um, so what do you think about, here, I'll just read it, Matthew 6. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thy eye be single to the glory of God, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light which is in thee be darkness, how great shall that darkness be? What's that, uh, what's that mean to you, Corey, the eye being the light? The light of the body is the eye. Well, you know, I can't speak with a ton of knowledge. I'm learning some of these things, even as we do these podcasts about some of the ancient Hebrew words. But the thing that comes to my mind that I'm learning is how the way the Hebrews thought 
when they would write things versus the way the Western mind thinks when we mm -hmm. write things is different. We, we look at objects and they look at purpose. You know, okay. it's kind of like we talked about in the last episode, Hey, you hold up a pencil right. in, in, in front of a Western group and they describe, Hey, it's yellow and eight inches long. And, and you hold it up in front of the ancient Israelites and they say it writes words and erases words and they see the purpose. So in these words that get translated, what I'm also finding is that sometimes the translations don't always describe the purpose because it's the concepts and the views of the Westerners who translated weren't still the concepts and the understandings of the original people. It's like, you know, you're, you're taking a different culture who thinks differently about things. And so trying to write it into a way, the Westerners who aren't accustomed to thinking that way. And so when the eye is single, obviously I think the eye and the word, the heart and the mind and the soul all those things represent the unity of, of purpose. So just like we talked about, I believe it was the last episode, how this scripture that is famous for causing problems among our people where it says, hey, God is one God, you know, and, and in the Hebrew it was Shema Yisrael, you know, um, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, this, this, the Lord is one we think of the three objects thinking, oh, it's got to be three pieces and how do they fit together? But they th think of unity of purpose. So I think this idea of the I being single has to just mean our life's focus is singular in that. That's what we, that's what we want to work for. That's what we want to do for God. I like that idea of learning that the Hebrew words was purpose and not, um, or action and not so much describing what you're seeing. So yeah, as soon as I see the light is the, you know, the, the light of the eye, I don't see it the same way, but if it's purpose, so whatever I see, whatever I choose to look at, whatever I choose to see is for everything's for God's glory, right? Everything, every, every, every way I look at things is for the glory of God and not for my glory. So during this time of darkness, Corey, during this time of uh, fear for a lot of people, of uncertainty, we can choose to look at, um, you know, statistics and news stories. And every time someone dies, it's put out in the news, you know, this was a terrible death and this was an elderly person. We can choose to focus on that or we can choose to focus on um, hope and positivity and what we're doing. My friend put out a put out a nice little uh, statement this week that he chooses to focus on hope. Um, he, ch he chooses to focus on you know when he'll be gathered together with his family again and when he'll be able to worship God. And um, we can really it is a choice to focus on those things of the kingdom rather than the fear. Mm. Um, any other thoughts on that? Well, it's interesting. I, I've been reading this book of his name is one and it takes the ancient Hebrew going back, not just to the Hebrew block characters that we know, but the ancient pictographs that preceded the block characters and how they were very telling but again, in purpose, not just an object. And, and one of the names for God, Savior, uh, 
for instance, Isaiah 43, verse 3 says, you know, for I am Yahweh, that would have been how they said it in the ancient Hebrew, I am Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's interesting that this word Savior was actually originally a pictograph of two objects. One of them was two teeth. It looked like you're kind of your front teeth. And the other was the symbol of an eye for, for being watching. And um, mm. what was interesting is that your Savior was associated with, again, the, the purpose, um, this eye part of it indicated it was a root of the Hebrew word, which meant how a shepherd would sharply or intently watch over his flock. And this, this idea of the eye was focused that when they saw this symbol of the eye, that meant, oh yeah, God is intently focused on me and my salvation. And that he is singular to that. And it's mm. interesting that he asks us to be singular to him. And what's interesting about being a shepherd is, you know, uh, in this coronavirus day of uh, everyone's trying to work at home, you know, a shepherd doesn't get a, I'm going to uh, remote into work today. You can't do that. You got to be there with the sheep. And they, they understood that, you know, of all the jobs in the world where you can work from home and do this other stuff, a, a shepherd doesn't get that luxury. A shepherd has to be with the sheep. And so when I read this, it gave me great comfort to realize if God, of all the things he could compare us to in purpose, and I'm thinking back like the Hebrews, the Hebrews saw a purpose, he compares himself to someone who isn't just working in an office a thousand miles away and sending us emails now and then. He's someone who's in the midst, even in our problems right now, even in the coronavirus. He's the shepherd who's on guard for the wolf. He's the shepherd who's safely putting us in within the gate at night. He's the one who even with his own body, it says, stands in the gap. That old word gap was the, the one single entrance in and out of the corral where the shepherd the sheep were at and the, and the shepherd himself would sleep in that spot. He would sleep in the gap, they call it. And to make sure the sheep stayed in and nothing bad came in. So I, I look at this, you know, his eye is singular too. He isn't like removed from us, even though sometimes people wonder, Hey, where's God at through this? He's got a greater purpose and he's, he's sharply intent on taking care of his and instill his plan to bring us back to be with him is his goal, his singular goal. What do you think about just the relationship? The light of the body is the eye, and therefore it does say single to the glory of God or single in purpose like you just said. If it is, then the whole body shall be full of light. Is that so it, it, it is really singling out one, you know, the eye is part of the body, but it's singling out this one part of the body. If it be single to the glory of God, then the rest of the body shall be full of light. So would it um, follow? Yeah. yeah um, I don't know if that just means increasing, you know, if you're single to the purpose of God and that's your whole heart's desire as you focus on that, the light will grow within you, I think is, mm -hmm. I'm just trying to put it in, you know, what they were thinking. Yeah. Um, like you said, your heart, your soul, unity. Um, I think it just grows within you until that's your heart and your soul. So yeah. So if you're, if you're looking and you're striving to put God first and, and to have his glory, his kingdom here on earth, 
If you strive to do that, maybe your heart and your mind and everything else will will follow and will come into alignment of that. But you can't be looking at darkness all the time and no. wondering about, wonder if I should try that or maybe I'll dabble in that. That's that's where it says if you even try to do that. Wow, Corey, do you see the parallel here now again? There you go. If you even strive to look into the darkness for a little bit for a time, whether it's I'm going to partake of this sin or I'm just going to dabble in this, pretty soon your whole body will be full of darkness. So here's another parallel where you can you're starting out with a little bit but the end result is you're either full of light or you're full of darkness. Wow, wow. You know, it, it's what you focus on. I learned something when I was really young and it's funny I, when I was young like most boys, you know, you you wanted you wanted a motorcycle, right? And I was probably 8 or 9 or 10 and I knew I couldn't have a motorcycle but I begged my parents for a mini bike. I wanted a mini bike. And it's like, you know, we didn't have a place to ride a mini bike. We just lived in a house in town and everything. And there was no way, if you knew my mom who was intent, I was going to be a piano player someday. She wasn't going to ever let me do anything that could jeopardize breaking my arm or my fingers. Right. (laughs) So I never got a mini bike, but I remember I wanted a mini bike so bad when I was young, I went to the library and there was a couple bike, uh, a couple books in the day on how to ride a mini bike. And I remember going to the library and I'm, I'm just a kid, but I remember opening this book. I can still remember standing there with it in my hand. And I was just reading it standing there in the library because I was just, you know, salivating over the thought of owning a mini bike someday. But it said something about when you're riding a mini bike and you're going towards something, you know, you're on a trail or whatever, and there's a stump and you don't want to hit the stump. The author said something that has been a life lesson for me. It said, if you don't want to hit the stump, you have to force your eyes to look away in the direction you want to go. And if you force your eyes off the thing you're going to hit, you'll go, you won't hit it. But if you keep looking at that thing that you don't want to hit, you're going to ride right toward it. And I can't tell you how many times in life, even in the act of just riding a bicycle, uh, you know, and, and when my kids were young, they had a mini bike. I never got one, but I told them that same story. Look away at the good thing. Look where you want to go and you'll head in that direction. Because if you keep focusing on the, on the thing you're going to hit or the curb, you know, you're riding mm-hmm. your bike. If mm-hmm. you're looking at the curb, you're going to hit the curb. You got to force your eyes off on the road. Well, what you're saying in the scripture, Mike, seems to parallel this and that God's saying, hey, if you focus on me and the things, you're, you're going to go for good things. If you if you keep focusing on the bad things or you kind of keep dabbling back and forth, you're never going to go in any direction, right? You're going to hit the curb. You're going to stumble. When last night, it's kind of funny, my, my wife and I watched a little movie and it wasn't anything bad or harmful, but we hadn't watched a show together <clears> for quite a while. And it was, you know, Friday night and I'm like, okay. Hey, you want to watch a movie? Yeah, okay. So we get through this movie. It's supposed to be a comedy, and it isn't really funny. And, and kind of towards the end, it got kind of crude. And I just said to my wife, I said, this is kind of dumb. Do you want to watch us? And she said, no, nah, it's up to you. And I said, no, it's not. So we turned it off. Okay, so you've probably done that before too. But I was just thinking, when I woke up this morning, my mind was still on that movie for whatever reason. I didn't even watch the whole thing. But I just realized... I took myself away in my mind for, I don't know how many hours where it's like my mind keeps wanting to go back because I focused on that, you know, and I'm not saying it was darkness and full of evil. I'm not saying that, but just in the subtle things in life, I'm realizing 
it always comes back to the things that we focus our eye on, right? And spiritually and, and physically, you know, that's what fills us. And, and this morning coming over here thinking, man, I don't want my mind going back to that movie. I want to focus on talking to Mike, you know, opening the word, talking to things of eternity. And it's like, I, I realize I do this to myself too, by the things I put my eye and my heart on, right? Yeah. You know, my, <laughs> my mom was an ER nurse and, I wanted a motorcycle too, you know, <laughs> growing up. And there was no way that was going to get past her after she'd seen so many oh, tragedies right. come into the ER. And so when I turned 18, I went out and bought a motorcycle. And I didn't <laughs> just get him. I got a Kawasaki 1000, and I oh, had never ridden a motorcycle before. And <laughs> I survived that summer. But uh, thankfully, it quit working after that, and I ended up selling it. But um, for one summer and, and part of the year, I, I drove that around and learned how to ride. And I bet she was just cringing the entire time. Every day. Yeah. Yeah. Nice thing was I could park right next to my college classes because there was always a motorcycle parking. <laughs> 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 fitted in, but, so it served me well. Oh, you know, the songs. Mm-hmm. I remember Kawasaki, let's the good times roll. You know, <laughs> I'd sing that over and over. But right. I remember my driver's ed teacher uh, when I was going around the curves, I would like ride off the road or whatever. And it said, he said, he said, and I always remembered this. He says, you need to look where you're going. Mm-hmm. So look down the road in the middle of the highway, in the middle of your lane, and your car will go to that spot when you're going around the curves. Don't look to the side or to the middle lane because you'll veer that way. So right. yeah, it's interesting. We both <laughs> yeah kept that. Yeah. Well, hey, Corey, another thing we read this week, and this this is... Um, you know, we talk about unity and, uh, you don't want to be united to a falsehood because then you have false unity, but we're supposed to not be contentious. And we read this week in 35 chapter five about the doctrine of Christ. And I want to pick your brain on this and see what you say. You know, we talk in the restoration about adding butts to the end of everything, a butt uh-huh. salad or a butt sandwich. So we read something and we, and we read it for what it is, but then in our mind we go, but, but, but what about, but what about this? So let's bring that into the conversation. I want to read what Jesus himself says uh, here in Third Nephi chapter 5. He says, After this manner shall you baptize in my name. For behold, verily I say unto you that the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are one. Now we talked about that. I am in the Father, the Father in me, and the Father and I are one. And according as I have commanded you, thus shall you baptize. And there shall be no disputations among you, as there hitherto has been. Neither shall there be any disputations among you concerning the points of my doctrine, as there has been. For verily I say unto you, he that has the spirit of contention is not of me but is of the devil who is the father of contention. And he stirreth up the hearts of men to contend with anger one with another. Have we experienced have we that at all that? in our church? No. I haven't seen that. <laughs> yeah, we have. no. Behold, this is my doctrine, to stir up the hearts of men. Behold, wow. Behold, this is not my doctrine, to stir up the hearts of men with anger one against another. But this is my doctrine, that such things should be done away. Behold, I say unto you, I will declare unto you my doctrine, and this is my doctrine, and it's the doctrine which the Father has given me, and I bear record, here we are, chiasm of the Father, the Father beareth record of me, and the Holy Ghost bears record of the Father and me, 
And I bear record that the Father commandeth all men everywhere to repent and believe in me. And whoso believes in me and is baptized, the same shall be saved. Boy, that's a great place where we like to add a but. <laughs> whoso believeth in me and is baptized, the same shall be saved. And they who are, and they who, and they are they who shall inherit the kingdom of God. Another place we put a but. But what part of the kingdom will you inherit, Corey? A sun part or a star part or a moon part? No. And whoso believeth not in me and is not baptized shall be damned. Verily I say unto you, this is my doctrine, and I bear record of it from the Father. And so, you know, when we talk about the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, the first thing I thought, I never thought of that in the context the context of baptism, Corey. <laughs> You know, we get you know we get these these dialogues go round and round, and we talked about one in purpose, not necessarily one in uh, personage, one in purpose. But if we are baptizing in the name of the Holy Ghost, why is that not as much important to us as the Godhead, as Jesus or the Father? So we're baptized in the name of all three, and I never really cognitively took that into consideration in discussing the Trinity, as we call it or whatever, baptized in the name of all three. And Jesus makes it clear why. Why? Because they're all one. Right. Because they're, they're unified in our salvation. God, God, the supreme being who took on flesh to become the son and sends his spirit to be with us, to change us. It's all working towards our salvation. And talking about the spirit coming and changing us, listen to this. This is... Um, he says, this is my doctrine, I bear record of it from the Father, that whoso believes in me believes in the Father, and unto him will the Father bear record of me and will visit him with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. And we need, this is what I keyed in on. Um, you must repent and become as a little child, be baptized in my name where you can't receive these things. Again, I say, repent be baptized in my name, become as a little child, or you can no wise inherit the kingdom. And I don't know if there's a reason why those are in reverse order there or not. I don't want to read too much into it. I don't have insight into that, but it is a little. It's just a, I think it's a reverse chiasm, parallelism. Okay. Yeah. Verily I say unto you, this is my doctrine, and whoso builds upon this, builds upon my rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. But in, in here, but whoso shall declare, so he, he, he addresses the but right here, whoso shall declare more or less than this and establish it for my doctrine, the same cometh of evil and is not built upon my rock. Now, this is the crux. This is important right here. So how do we have unity just based on this doctrine and not, um, you know, we have other scriptures. We have... We have a lot of scriptures on policy and procedure and priesthood offices. Um, but right here, if you would sum all of this up, what did what did Jesus just say? He says, repent, come unto me, be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, be immersed in water. If you do these things, the Father will visit you with fire in the Holy Ghost, which we understand is a changing of the heart, a and um, and just become as a little child and seek the kingdom. And this is my doctrine. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I'm glad you brought this up. I, since we've talked about this a couple of times, I've had, this has been on my mind. I've had this prayer like, Lord, maybe there's some, something here that isn't clear. And he's probably thinking, I can't be any more clear. It's, you know, you guys the, the read, just read it again. Right. Don't put the butts in just like right. you said. Right. And, and I'm looking at this thinking, Lord, but, but we're, we're stumbling here over something and are we creating this or are you creating this for us so that we will ask to understand, you see examples of that in scripture. You see Alma doing this when he's like, Hey, I didn't know. So I went and inquired what to do regarding the transgressors. Right. And so he gets answers from God and he said, it's good that you asked. So, I didn't realize it, but in the process of thinking about this, among other things, I had some thoughts that were unrelated. Then all of a sudden I realized maybe these thoughts were part of the answer. And and, and let me share the last a couple of weeks ago, here we are on this coronavirus lockdown. The uh, pastor where I go to church asked if I'd bring the communion message this Sunday and it's in a week. And I've had some thoughts on this and I thought, well, it's, it's the communion service and I've had thoughts on a communion message even before I was asked. And what occurred to me was when God brings this one cup of communion in the olden days, and I know we talked about this, people drank from one cup. Right. Right. And that was not just because they didn't have a bunch of tiny little cups like we have in our communion services, but there was some symbolism behind that that I never understood. And the symbolism is that, it's symbolic of the cup of salvation we are drinking from. It's it's just like everything in the parallels. There's God's mercy and there's God's justice. And there is a second cup. And the cup is the cup of God's justice. Right. And when we meet at communion, we're saying, no, we're all here because we have come in at the gate. We've been baptized, received the Holy Ghost. We are seeking, striving for this cup of this salvation, which we're drinking out of. That's why, that's why we're here. So that should be a time of rejoicing, right? Yeah, yeah. With our eyes on Christ, the cup of salvation. And we've turned it into my eyes on me. I'm sorry for this, what I've done. Not that you shouldn't be repentant, but it's not, but, but have we brought that message out that this is the, again, this is the doctrine of Christ, his salvation, his blood, this is our hope, our joy. Right. And so and so taking that a, a step further, Mike, this is what just became very penetrating yesterday when I was realizing the decision, you know, we've turned this into with all the buts is well, but he was ba- he was baptized in the branch that I don't go to. And so now what do I do? And it's like it it's a parallel if you've come, you look, you know, you've, you even shared, I think, a story of one time where it's like, you know, a little child who had been baptized, eight-year-old girl, whatever, was baptized, yeah. cause, uh, but, but wasn't going to be served communion. I hate to even bring this up because the person was thinking, well, I don't know if this person, you know, was baptized in the right branch or whatever, you know. And so I look at this, I'm thinking, God, how do you see this? And the answer is, it's in the cups. Is this little girl, I mean, you look at this little girl, you look at Mike Barrett, you look at Corey, you look at everyone, and we've got two cups we're either drinking out of. We've we've come to Christ because we've been baptized and received the Holy Ghost, and therefore we're permitted, capable, invited to drink out of the cup of salvation. Or we haven't done that, 
And now we're going to, if we don't change, we're going to drink out of the cup of God's wrath, his justice. And he doesn't want that. But, but the decision comes down to every person. Has this person met the bare minimums? Have they received the Holy Ghost and been baptized? Are they, is this eight-year-old girl in her life right now on a path where she is drinking from the cup of salvation or not? And if the answer is yes, well, she deserves to be served right. communion. And that's what it comes down to. And so I, I, I share this as a little issue that's dumbfounded people in their branches because they come up with all these rules that we've applied. And God's like, no, you've come into the gate or you haven't come into the gate. And this, in the end, if you look at this person and say, is this little child who's been baptized really drinking out of God's wrath? Well, and yeah, and in that story, the the end result was God spoke and said that baptism is acceptable and exactly. serve her. And, and so, and so but here's a, but why is this important to us? Because it's a bigger, so in our everyday walk, this is important because once again, we take our eyes off of ourself and we put them back on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, that I always say has been, has been missing in the body of Christ is this rejoicing and this confidence in the blood of Christ in that we are saved because God came down and bled and died and sacrificed for us an eternal atonement. And, and our part is to come to him, and then the Father sends his spirit and bears record of Christ. And I think that's probably where it's broken down. The process is broken down. I don't, I don't know of a body of people on a large scale that the that the Father has come and visited them with fire and the Holy Ghost, like we read about in Scripture, and they have been, you know, just completely transformed and understand Jesus and his glory. I don't see that, you know, I don't see that a lot in our preaching and our teaching and our, we just don't have a knowledge of that. If we did, then those sermons and those teachings would be different and it would be focused on Jesus, our Savior. So this is, exciting to me when I see these things, not a negative, because it resets your mind again. If you can get rid of all of the extra fluff and come down to the very basic, I need to come to Christ. I've been baptized. I have to have an eye single to his glory, become as a little child, right? Totally relying on him. And the father will visit me with the Holy Ghost. And that's the culmination of the gospel, I believe. That's Mm -hmm. when it becomes real to you and you no longer have to watch a movie and see Christ on a cross and try to get this emotional response of, oh, he died for me. You know, I'm supposed to feel something. You just know him and you know the, the wonderfulness of that. And you're mm-hmm. in love with your Savior, right? Mm-hmm. He is the only thing you want to be with. And that's where people like Paul and all of them, it's like, eh, I die, I die. If I live, I live. I can serve him. If I die, I get to go be with him. So it doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. And that's really an important attitude to have in this season where we're you know, there's so much fear and things around us right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Well, you know, so this is interesting because in the aspect of communion, but it's a larger picture of just life and salvation. You know, again, it's, it's two choice. It's one choice with two outcomes. It's you partake of salvation or you don't. And this is why it comes back to Jesus words, how they're, I mean, it's, not that I can even judge, but I mean, it's like, it's, it's so to the point without adding more or less, as he says, where if this is why in the communion service, for instance, we don't allow 
people who haven't made a covenant to partake because that would be mocking the fact that you have to come into the gate to partake in salvation. In other words, there there is this acknowledgement that, Lord, I want to have a covenant with you. I want to partake in the salvation. I, I want to acknowledge that I believe that you died for my sins and that I want my eye to be single right. to you. And, it, and, and, and all these things are represented through baptism. The right? Book of Mormon says, if that is the state of your heart, the very first fruit, the very first fruit of that, of that repentance is baptism. Exactly. The first fruits of repentance is baptism. So we can't can't say, uh, you know, you can't drink of the salvation of Christ if you haven't done the very first fruit of repentance, right. which is baptism. Right. Which comes right back to what you just read, where Jesus says, this is my doctrine, come to me and be baptized. Right. You know, and it's not, and this is where the world stumbles because they say, that's a work, you know, there's a works don't matter. And it's like, no, this is, this is not what the Mosaic law of works was all about. This is God saying, you demonstrate in the flesh and in the spirit that you want to be changed. You demonstrate in the flesh that you you come and have this rebirth, this rising from this watery grave physically. You demonstrate by inviting the Holy Ghost to be part of you by receiving the laying of the hands that you want to be renewed spiritually. Yeah. And, and they're both they're both required because it doesn't work any other way. And so that's that's why baptism isn't a work. It's it's part of the that's step right. of a, a response. Yeah, the um, the evangelical world. We talked about you know how they're dividing right now, and, and and really they're seeing a lot of really good solid teaching coming out about being born again and having the mystery of Christ living in you. Um, but one thing they don't teach, and and it, it's it's more of this mental thing that Christ comes into you, and they they just don't put the emphasis on baptism. And Jesus Himself, right here puts the emphasis on baptism and says, "Don't contend, you know, don't contend right. about this." Yeah, you, that brings us up to uh, that brings me to another thing, Corey. We I wanted to finish with this day, and this may this may we may talk on this for quite a bit throughout the history of the scriptures, and I I think of one very in particular, Samuel the Lamanite standing on the wall, warning the people, and they were shooting arrows at him. They they so much did not want to hear his warning and wanted him to go away, but they couldn't kill him. Now, that would be something if I saw that I thought, that must be supernatural. <laughs> mm-hmm. We can't kill him. Uh, there's been other warnings in the scriptures, and, and your mind, I'm sure, can go to those better than mine can. But, you know, Lehi in Jerusalem warning the people that they were going to be destroyed and then being taken away to a safe place by the Lord. And then shortly thereafter, the city was destroyed in our because of our history of our church we believe in revelation and that opens us up maybe more so than other religions because we believe god still talks to us that gives way to people having experiences and we believe not limited to the priesthood that men and women and even children can prophesy and have dreams and have spiritual experiences and that god is a personal god that works with his people through the years, I've heard experiences that I don't believe were of God. And when um, you start to hear these over and over and things either don't come to pass, that can damage your faith. So I'm looking at a body of people. Some may be cynical because of all of the movements that have broken off and different things where we thought people had experienced the Lord and this was his direction and then maybe it didn't pan out. I don't know. It's different ways to view that. But what does that do to our faith, Corey? 
What does that do when someone says they had an experience from the Lord and maybe it wasn't, maybe it was the experience of man or the emotion of man. Does that affect our faith? Well, <laughs> I can tell you one, one effect is if you look on a paper and you see just the restoration churches and you see about 400 little dots with a bunch of little lines where this one started and this one and this one went to the other one and this one broke off of that. And, and you see all these groups, most of those lines and divisions and whatnot in just the restoration in the last couple hundred years are often the result of someone say, well, God told me blah, you know? Right. And, and, and then, so you see that there's been some scattering and fracturing. Um, I, so there's, there's one way to slam dunk this. And, and part of me wants to just go with this and leave it and not do the, but, um, in the doctrine and covenants in the early days of the church, there were a lot of, you know, people coming up with words of prophecy and whatnot. And we read, you can read in a lot of church history, you know, so-and-so said this prophesied of this, maybe it was true. Maybe it wasn't, but it's interesting that in the doctrine and covenants, it said, Hey, just so you guys know, as a church, there's only one appointed for the church to receive revelation. And that's the guy who's the president of the church. Now I'm not saying that someone can't have inspiration or whatever, but as far as, a uh, message for the whole church. It's interesting that that came up and it came up at a time when no one was questioning that at least now I'm going back more than a hundred years in church history, you know, people weren't questioning that someone was coming up with alternate stories or trying to divide the church. Maybe they were, but there were already divisions. But what I'm saying is um, there was counsel even given to the churches that be careful with this, be careful with this because everyone who says they're a prophet isn't right. And, and so one of the things that I've tried to do in, in the last many years of my life is try to put blinders on to most of that because it can be discouraging. We want so much to believe that Zion is just, you know, a couple weeks out. And, and so, hey, this guy had this dream. It was going to be here then. It was going to, it's going to do this. This is going to happen. And it's like, we kind of keep holding on to these things. And I don't know that sometimes you know, the essence of truth isn't there, but it's not like when it doesn't come to pass, what do you do with it? And my, my feeling is that as a people, we've wanted to hope that it's all at least right. But I take an opposite view anymore. I'm like, just teach me the word God. I, I feel like you've already told us more than we understand. Show me what I'm not understanding here in this first, because where, where I've seen it, maybe it's a technique um, through the years, I saw people say, well, every psalm, you know, there is a hundred and some psalms. Every psalm is actually a prophecy. And I'm just saying this as an example. Right. I'm not I saying remember that. Yeah. Every, every prophecy has to do with the year, calendar year. And we were at Psalm 98 that year. And that was going to be 99. And Psalm 100 had something to do with Zion. So, hey, in two more years, we're going to have Zion. And there was always this thing that was, hey, it's six months out. It's 18 months out. It's two years out. And there was always this little thing. And it was always a little bit out. But that one didn't really come to pass, but guess what? Someone else had another dream and it was like a year out. And and so when we did these little things, I realized for 30 some years of my life, I was always just kind of on the edge of my seat for the next little testimony thing that was supposed to happen. And sometimes they were vague little things. Sometimes they were more specific, but I realized I was always in this, okay, within the next 12, 16 months, something's going to happen. And I realized that in that 12 and 16 months, once it transpired, looking back, I didn't do anything. I didn't get anything done. I mean, in terms of growing in my life, other than just 
waiting for what I thought yeah. the next disaster was. And I was, and I've wondered, I'm not saying it's this way, but I've wondered, is that just a way Satan can work with people who he knows are good and have good hearts to just kind of keep us doing nothing, to keep us kind of locked down. It's like we're locked down in our spiritual house with us, with this thing going on because we keep thinking, you know, bad times are coming. And I'm, and then I realized, man, 30 or so years passed by and none of these things came to pass. What would we have done if we hadn't been told that, but instead focused on the absolute truths that are in the word already? Yeah, that's, that's definitely one effect. And I've seen that in different people's lives that have been ruined, whether it's joining a group of people trying to have all things common and that hasn't turned Mm -hmm. out well, but, um, so, but the other thing I, I think is another unintended consequence of that is, you know, a number of years ago, there was a, a big revelation and came out through a man that, you know, the Russians were going to invade America in five years. Mm. And that didn't, didn't seem to happen. And so you, then that, then you wonder, well, didn't, didn't they fix our election though? No, <laughs> no never mind. that was way okay. before that, <laughs> kidding. way before that. So you have that that happens. And then, you know, so let's say someone's preaching and they say, you know, guys, we need to prepare. There's going to be people coming into the area and we need to prepare our lives and have enough supplies for our family and that. And that can be good advice. But then when the person says, I received a message from the Lord, mm-hmm. we need to prepare. I mean, we need to get ready for an influx of people and we need to come together and be as one. And that's, you know, it's kind of vague and that's it. That to me does a number of things. Number one, it's like, Number you've 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 claimed the name of God. You're speaking. You're no longer giving good advice, but you're saying directly from the Word of God, almost like this is a commandment. Do this, right. okay? And so my mind first goes to this: if that's really God speaking, and He's my loving parent, and He knows the situation we're in in the church right now, why is He so vague? Mm-hmm. Like, like if we need to hear from Him and we need to know direction. Why is it this? Why isn't there direction? And so why do we need to spend a year discussing, well, what does that mean to prepare for the gathering, right? And so it just leaves more confusion again. And then, so that's one unintended. The second thing is, what if when God comes to speak to us again, do I trust that man or do I trust another man? Or have, have, has my senses been dulled a little bit to like, oh, is this another one of these? Yeah, maybe it's the Lord speaking. Maybe it's not. Um, it's kind of vague. It's kind of weak. Is that is that an unintended consequence? What I'm saying is are, have we become jaded or cynical now whenever someone speaks from the Lord that we won't hear his message? Mm. Or does God understand our situation and when the true warning comes and he's about to move in great ways, do we trust him to say, I'm going to send someone on the wall. You're not going to kill him. Arrows won't penetrate mm. him. You will know this is my word. Mm. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of us caught up in this this gray, middle, muddy area where we're like, are we, are we hearing from the Lord or not? It's hard to discern if it's him. Is, it, is that because I'm so sinful that I can't hear his word anymore and maybe the true sheep really get it? Or is it that this is still a lot of the will of men trying to speak like it's a warning voice of God and it's maybe really not. It's just the wishful thinking of men. And then you say, is that good or bad? Well, it's always mm-hmm. good to repent. Mm-hmm. He says, if they're for me, you know, don't don't worry about it. But I think when you start to say this, this set of 
this set of circumstances, this, this experience I'm sharing with you is from the Lord. It's a warning from the Lord that you're taking it up a notch. And that, that raises expectations from the people, right? That, hmm, something's about to happen. God's telling us something. And then if things don't pan out that way, I think it really hurts our faith in the long run. Mm, yeah, that's a really good summary. Boy, you, you just hit on so many interesting points and summarized it so well. I I like the part that you said about, you know, when someone says something, but it's kind of vague because this is where I'm at. For instance, if the words were like, and I'm not saying it was anything specific exactly as you said it, but implying, hey, it's time to be one and be prepared. Well, it's it's great to say that at any point in time. And it's really amazing if God is telling us this right now, but it doesn't come with any more instruction than we've ever had because people have always been saying, Hey, we need to be one or we're not gods. Well, how do do we do that? We've, we've never done that. And the damage is then that's, that's how much God cares for me. He's just as hard to figure out in that message that it's always been. Why why is he, if, why is he, if he wants to be be prepared, it's like, it's it's like the great Oz, you know, it's kind of like, is this, is it really this big, huge voice or is this just guy speaking behind this curtain here? And it's like, could you, if it's true, Give us some instruction on this. You know, it's like, I, I, I don't know. I would think we would. Well, it'd be that. like my son saying, you need to rewire the house, son, and I need you to have it done. That's what I require of you for me to continue to love you and allow you to, to live here. And he's like, okay, your directions are clear. I get it. I need to repent. But are you are you going to show me how to rewire the house? Are you going to send someone to teach me? Are you going to give me a blueprint? Right, are you going right. to, are you going to help me along? Or are you going to just ask me to do this? this it, it's task just like that, spanking me because I don't understand and then come back next week and you'll get another spanking. You yeah. Know? So I, th- I think these are important. I think these are important questions. Um, well, and it's a, it's a hard, it's a difficult question too, because our people tend to be a little bit like, you remember the little fable about the, the emperor's new clothes and the parade and he's walking by and he's not wearing any clothes, but no one wants to say that except the little boy is like, Hey, the emperor doesn't have this on. It's like, I think a lot of times we've just been happy to hear the next testimony or vision that kind of gets us excited. And so then we we tend to forget the last one that didn't happen or whatever. And I look at all of this right now thinking it's like you say, Mike, this day in Nephi's, the son of Helaman, you know, in, in the book of Helaman, you you get the time when Nephi and Lehi lived and they were doing missionary work among the Lamanites. That's when Samuel the Lamanite emerges. Here's this guy who the Nephite society considered the lowlifes coming back to the people who thought they always had their finger on the pulse of the gospel, the Nephites. And the Lamanites were the, were right. the you know, the outcasts, dirty, you know, didn't have right. culture. And, and then he's standing on the wall and he's telling them what they didn't want to hear about their own word. It's like, hey, if anyone's going to know, we're going to know. I kind of think that almost you're right in the sense that if we're on this time of the Gentiles thing. Oh, and by the way, the other thing we talked about it before the podcast, scourge, the Lamanites themselves were called a scourge by God. And God says to Nephi, says, hey, you're your brethren are going to be a scourge to their seed to stir up your people in ways of remembrance. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and in the end, when the book of Mormon is sealed up in the ground, what happens? The Lamanites finally scourged the Nephites. They wiped them out. Right. And, and the word transfers to the ground to come to the Gentiles. So see, like more a time. scourge 
a scourge has a divine purpose behind it. It's not yeah, exactly. just this is a tragedy or you're punished. It's like we got to see the spiritual. This is, right? this is a, a, a divine purpose, a scourge to them, so that it may you know there's a purpose behind it. It's not a random punishment, you know. Or right, and every time every time the word transferred to a new people, there was a scourge with it. And I, I meant to mention that earlier that the the Lamanites were called from the beginning. You word search the word scourge in the Book of Mormon, and you see that the Lamanites were called. This is what you, they're going to be. To your Nephites every single time. Well, so and it tran and it accompanied a transfer of the word at some point in time. So, but Nephi's people have fallen into ways where the Lamanites are now preaching to them. They don't want to believe them. I kind of think in our day it would be like all of a sudden if if the Jews who had rejected Jesus all of a sudden start telling the restoration, hey, you guys missed this point about Jesus here, and it's like. Don't tell us. We've had Jesus for our centuries, you know. It's like, or maybe that's not a good example, but I kind of wonder if there's just a kind of a spiritual darkness on our people for this reason that the time of the Gentiles may very well be ending right now, and this new dawn is going to see a spiritual, not a resurgence, but a, a new force rise up among God's covenant people that the Prophets have foretold since the beginning, and the and the world has looked forward to, and we're not prepared to see that. I, at the same time, and I don't want to say that there aren't prophets speaking among us, because I know there are people every day, men and women, and even children, with inspiration that they get when they come up from their knees in prayer to God, and it and it's truth and it's direction. But at the same time, you know, Lehi was one of many prophets among his people. It wasn't like he was the only one. There were many people forecasting the destruction that was going to come to Jerusalem. And in the Book of Mormon records, there were many prophets among the people at different times, you know, sharing the word of truth. So can God inspire more than one person? And is it only the president of the church, whatever? And if you don't have a righteous president, then there's no word from God. No, I really believe there can be these forecasts. But here's what I'll say, Mike. If it's going to be of God... It's going to direct us back to something in the word, at least, that we can use as a foundation, and it'll be substantive, and it will give you uh, the, the the path to step down. It's going to direct you to something concrete, I think, uh, that you can do with. And if it yeah. doesn't do that... <sighs> and I think, you know, the Lord told us that the Book of Mormon is the fullness of the gospel. I'm, I'm suspect when there's words that, you know, either say... Uh, you know, don't worry about the Book of Mormon or it doesn't need to have place or, you know, or if our if our focus becomes more on Zion and a holy city and the righteous people more so than repenting and coming to Christ. Mm-hmm. I've We've said it before, and, and again, we don't want to be negative or too hard on our own people, but as, a, as a, me being included, our own people, I grew up think, learning more about Zion and gathering to Zion and having a safe place to live and um, a righteous city. And, and yeah, I want, I want to be there and I want to be with Christ, but, but I didn't learn a lot about the blood of Christ and him living in me and being transformed and drinking from the cup of salvation and how rejoicing that is and that I owe everything to him because he has saved me and he's mighty to save. Mm-hmm. I grew up with a much different gospel story that, you know, there's different levels for depending on how good you can be. And there's a lot of pressure. You better be the best. And, um, you know, there's a safe city you can go to. And there, it's all part of the story. But it can't it can't be um, you can't put the climax ahead of the. I don't know. It's just out of whack, man. It's it's, it's got to be first. What Jesus said is my doctrine. 
He didn't say anything in there about building a holy city and living here. Although that's a wonderful part of the story. Don't 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 count us out because we're not saying that that's not part of the story. But his doctrine is repenting, being baptized, becoming as a little child, and the Father bearing record to you by the Holy Ghost in fire, fire. Why would you use fire as a word? It's not like this. Mm. It's not a wimpy word. It's not like you're going to feel warm and fuzzy or you're going to have a lot of happiness for your fellow man. It says he's going to visit you with fire. Yeah, fire changes everything it touches permanently. (laughs) It it changes. And yeah, I mean, that's how you take one substance and change it into another by heating it by Mm. fire. Wow, that's so that's the doctrine of Christ. Yeah. And so we have to look around and say, have, are we a body of people that have been cleansed by fire, that have been visited by fire, and that just know their Savior, that he's mighty to save, and that they're saved in his kingdom because of what he's done? So that's the gospel that we as a church were supposed to preach and are supposed to preach. And too quickly, I think we, we got into certain details that kind of excited us. It's like, well, we'll come <clears> here now and gather because, you know, there's this kingdom coming, and if you aren't here, you're not going to be in it. It's like, Nothing about the the church and the salvation, the blood of Christ and the atonement and all this stuff, which is the eternal part of it. You know, there are circumstances of the last days, certainly that are going to be prophetically fulfilled. But it's like as a church, we, we, we left that part of the story out thinking, oh, well, the other churches, they kind of preach that. We're preaching about Zion. And it's like, no, we, we were given the straight story on the doctrine so that there wouldn't be contention, there wouldn't be arguing, there wouldn't be disputations, all the words the scriptures use. And yet all we've done is we've argued and disputed about all these other things that weren't the doctrine that Jesus wanted his church to be sharing. Yeah. And so, no, I'm glad you're touching on this, Mike. It's really, really important. So well, in the end, in the end, it's interesting because I think that the true church still emerges as we find out in this, in this story, as it unfolds through the book of Mormon, it prophetically tells there's going to be two churches in the end. And this church of Christ is the one that prophetically spiritually teaches things correctly and emphasizes the most important thing, which is come to Christ and be saved, partake of the cup of salvation. Yeah. That's, and that's the, that's where our hope lies, you know, and and I, um, I don't want us to be a, a people that say, well, we're going to wait on prophetic warnings and we're going to need those to get us in gear. We should be striving to repent every day. Um, I think, there's a, a little bit of trust that goes into the fact that God will tell us if he's about to do some horrendous thing that it doesn't catch us unawares because he loves us. And that's kind of been his pattern through history. But we also have a lot of scripture that other people didn't have that gives us a lot of direction. And specifically, the Book of Mormon is so full of repentance and Jesus Christ. I read somewhere this week, Jesus is mentioned in every 1.7 verses of the Book of Mormon um, and so that's an average, you know, over if you added it up, how many times he's mentioned and how many different names for him are over a hundred in the Book of Mormon. Um it's all about it's all about Jesus. And so Hey, you know, I, I just want to throw in Amos in the Old Testament says, Surely the Lord will do nothing until he revealeth the secret unto his servants, the prophets. You know, that was a statement that I, I always kind of rested on feeling like, hey, God wasn't going to do something and not tell his people ahead of time. But um, I, I didn't want you to lose your train of thought there, but I no. just want to throw that in that he always said I was going to speak to the prophets. But here's here's where I go with all of this conversation. When I hear prophetic messages among our people, 
it's it's always it's this microcosm view of you know of a tiny little group of people you know get your house in order or whatever storms coming all these things I've I've heard these things I see these things but when I look back in this prophet prophetic word from the Old Testament and these Book of Mormon prophets specifically they saw our day and they warned the Gentiles already that the warnings already in there but they also told us this thirty thousand foot view which is where God's perspective always is. What I'm surprised we're not hearing is because of what the prophets have already said. They said there's this time coming called the end of the time of the Gentiles when the word returns to Israel. Why, if I would expect the prophets of our day to be talking about that, right? Because that's the the next thing on the agenda from the thirty thousand foot view. Yeah, and that's the thing we we bat around and discuss and and philosophize about is the time of the Gentiles now? Did it start way back when? Did it? it you know, are we past the time of the Gentiles? Have it already been fulfilled? Mm-hmm. And that's really you're right. That is a a, um, a conundrum, a, a question that's relevant. It's one we should be asking. We definitely see increased wickedness. Um, you know, people just abhorring God's creation, which is their own bodies, their own selves saying, I'm not a man and I'm not a woman. And they're just to the very base saying, I am not what you created me and I don't care about your purpose for me. You know, I'm going to be who I am going to. And how else can you more thumb your nose at God than saying that? The most (laughs) basic thing. I'm not even a human. I'm not even a you know, a man or a woman it says God created man and woman. Anyway, Enoch sees that great day when this earth was veiled with darkness. Satan has a chain wrapped around it, the chains of his lies, and he looks up to heaven and he laughs. You know, right. That's what's going on right now. Well, so I look forward. I mean, I think that those, uh, I will tell yeah, like you said, when I heard, you know, the Russians are going to invade in five years, that, that really got me thinking, you know, I think the purpose of prophetic warnings is to call people to repentance, to remind them, you know, he sends scourges for purposes to stir up our hearts, to chase, he chastens those he loves. God uh, knows we need help coming to him to repent. We, you know, it's basically his power drawing us to him. We are our own carnal, central devilish bodies don't want to do that. And so he helps us even into our own salvation. Um, but the choice is ours, and we have a lot. I always go back to the, man, it was just, you know, my son had a homework assignment this week. We sat down and read it with him, and then it's, it brings us into this whole discussion. That's what happens when you read the Word of God and you ask for his direction. Things that I hadn't read for a while came back out to the forefront of my mind. That's keeping your eyes single to his glory by doing that, and here we are discussing just a simple homework assignment this week is what we've been doing uh, for the last hour. So coming back to the Book of Mormon and reading, uh, this helps you keep your eyes single to the glory of God so that your whole body can be filled with light. I love that progression. I'm glad we talked that out today. Mm-hmm. Or you'll end up having your whole body full of darkness. Full of darkness. Okay. Another parallel. Um, I know we talked earlier in the week, Corey, about, and you know, we can either go long enough to make this a two-parter this weekend or not. Uh, I do want to tell our listeners before I forget, I think we're going to put out within the next couple of days, a episode that we did on God being one in purpose, where we talk about that Hebrew word. I just need to edit it a little bit and we'll get that out. So that'll be either uh, tomorrow or Monday. That'll be coming out. So we'll have a little extra bonus this week. We didn't want to wait on that one. Um, we just thought it was something that we really, I think you and I both really enjoyed yeah. that episode. So we'll get that out. But, um, 
um, anything else based on the eye, the the doctrine of Christ, the warnings of God? Um, oh, it's all it's all good. It's all good. No, thank you, brother, for uh, opening up your studio again, so we can talk about things of eternity. Well, I I appreciate that. Um, I have a son upstairs right now that's pretty excited. You've been generous to help him, give him some things to do. So I know uh, you got some work to do today. Hey, brothers and sisters that are listening, God loves you. His eyes are on you. He takes care of the birds and the flowers. And with our eyes single to his glory, our body will become full of light. So let us strive to do that in the upcoming days and months. Until next time, Corey, what are we doing? Just walking each other home. God bless.